Hello and welcome to the Mikey G and Friends podcast. This is a podcast where I, Mikey, get to sit down and have conversations with my friends and you get to listen in. Now this is the second episode of season one, so if you have not had the chance to listen to the trailer or the first episode, which is my conversation with my best friend, Darian King, I recommend that you take the time to listen to those either before or after this. Now today I get to sit down with my good friend, Daniel DJ Johnson, who is the director of Compassion, Mercy, and Justice and the director of the men's ministry for Ocean Hills Church in Santa Barbara, California. Originally from Salinas, California, DJ now resides in Santa Barbara as an unmarried man who is attending seminary at North Park University and is passionate about figuring out what it means to live as a local church in the community we find ourselves in. DJ is also an avid surfer, a man who loves to cook fusion meals, and was a college soccer player at Westmont College. Well, let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Daniel DJ Johnson. What's up, DJ? How's it going today, buddy? Doing good, Mike. Thanks for uh, saying my full name so my parents know it's me too because they don't know me as DJ. So I appreciate you saying Daniel to start out with here. It's good. <laughs> How are you, dude? I'm doing well, man. It's been it's been fun. It's been uh, it's been fun trying to start this podcast, and so uh, it's fun to see you getting creative, dude. It's fun. It's been fun to see you not only do this, but having a book in the works and stuff like that you're accessing those parts of the brain that are uh that are really good to access right now so thank you for being creative on top of the the tons of work you already do too yeah that's been that's been a blessing of quarantine for sure too is just being able to uh do creative stuff have more time you know time that would be spent with friends or family outside hanging out obviously we're kind of stuck at home and so it's been a blessing to be able to do some creative stuff for sure. You're a pioneer. Um, I want to write a book so, someday too. So. <laughs> you will, dude. You will. But uh, this will be exciting for people to hear your story. Obviously, we've had a lot of talks through our couple years uh, together in a seminary cohort together. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I'm excited for people just to kind of hear some of your thoughts. You know, you always provoke my thoughts. And so it'll be good mm-hmm. for people to... Uh, hop in there um, and hear some conversation. Um, so kind of starting things off, what do you do for work? I know I said you work at Ocean Hills, but specifically what is your role there and kind of what does that entail for you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's the thing, right? Jesus, uh, you can read all over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to read about Jesus talking about serving the poor, about feeding the hungry, about loosening the yoke of the oppressed, Jesus says in, in one of his, I think it's in Luke 4, he says that, right? And so the, the thing is, we have all of this great language and all of these great ideas that we've turned them into in Christianity about what Jesus said, but we don't have very many people thinking about how this actually works in our everyday lives, right? And so we have this gap, at least maybe where I serve in Santa Barbara, we tend to have this gap between reading what Jesus is saying and actually turning it into something. There's some guys that came around uh, like a decade ago or so, Tony Campolo and this guy named Shane Claiborne, and they were talking about red letter Christians. They wrote a book called Red Letter Christians. And the idea was 
of the book was that we have these red letters. We have these sayings of Jesus in red in the Bible, and we read these, and yet we seemingly don't do anything about them with our lives. And so we have this gap, and the work I do is to try and close that gap for people. If Jesus tells me to offer my extra food to those who don't have enough, I help people figure out how to give their extra food to those people who don't have enough. If Jesus says to go and to loosen the bonds of the oppressed, well, I'm going to try to help people go seek out where injustice still lies in the systems and the structures of our town, of our context, and we're going to fight against those so that everybody can have an equitable chance at a good life here. Uh, and so my job is very much about turning kind of our faith and our words into action. At least that's the ideal of my job. It doesn't happen like that all the time. Uh, but on top of that, too, uh, you know, I work with men. So part of my job is the Director of Compassion, Mercy, and Justice at Ocean Hills Church here in Santa Barbara. Um, but another part of my job is, is men's ministry, too. Uh, and, and really, the part of that is, like, men, we tend to, uh, we tend to become isolated. Uh, we tend to become independent, and we make money, and we do work, and we do good things. And yet we have this truth, like there's been a lot of research that's been done by Harvard, uh, amongst others, that has said male friendship is the greatest indicator for someone's happiness in life, right? They studied all these 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds that like fought in World War II, and, and it was like literally a 50-year study. And these guys, they came back after 50 years, and the Harvard researchers, they asked, what was it? that gave you the greatest satisfaction in life. And they found that the, the men with the greatest satisfaction were simply the ones that had the closest friendships. The closer friendships you had, the better your life was going to be. Which by the way, I, I think it deserves to be said, it's not the more beautiful woman you married, it's not the more money you made, it's not the bigger house you had, it's literally the better friendships you had, the more happy you would be late in your life, right? And so we have the truth of, of this. We know this to be true. But again, we have problems figuring out how to live this out and how to make this happen in our lives. And so the other part of my job is really trying to help men find friends that are going to build them up, that are going to edify them, sharpen them, to help them become better men uh, and to become more godly men too. And so I, that's the other part of my job also. And so the the role of a uh, director of compassion mercy and justice is not a role that every church has like i you know i've talked to a lot of pastors on a lot of different staffs and very few of them have said yeah let me go talk to my director of compassion mercy and justice and so yeah my question with that is is that something that was already in established before you came to ocean hills or was that something you established or what was kind of your story of coming on staff at Ocean Hills and taking that role on? Awesome question. Yeah, no, I, I actually I did. I, I had the privilege of stepping into some work that, that had already been going on at the church. So we had a role defined for compassion, mercy, and justice at Ocean Hills. Um, to be honest, though, Mike, it was like, it was kind of sidelined. Um, it was, a, I think when I stepped in, it was a 10 hour a week job. It was really to sustain a couple of volunteer programs we have going on in the community. And that's not to, to diminish either of those programs. I think they were great. 
but it was in many ways just to find ways to uh, get our people serving out in the community. Um, and I think uh, as I've stepped into the role and, and kind of gotten to own it a little bit, the, the role has, has actually expanded. So now the church devotes more hours to my role. Um, and the result of that is we get to do things that start maybe investigating more of, uh, of the systems and the history behind why, for instance, there are so many people without homes in Santa Barbara, right? We have a very rich, like a, a very wealthy population in general in Santa Barbara. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, our rate of homelessness is astounding, right? And, and another thing too is we have, you know, we have people, literal billionaires living up the road from us. Oprah lives about two, three miles from where I am right now. And yet right next door to me, we have people living in food scarcity. We have food deserts here, right? And so if that's the case, if we have such a, 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 an excess of wealth in this town and yet we still have starving people in our streets, it deserves to be asked what went wrong there? What happened? And how do we help be a part of the solution, right? Uh, and so that's the, that's the beauty of, of setting my role apart as a guy that does compassion, mercy, and justice is we actually get to investigate those questions a little deeper um, and then just seek the Lord's guidance in, in how we actually start to, again, how we start to alleviate some of those problems. Yeah, brother, I love that. And I love that when I watch you carry out your ministry on social media, especially, because um, that's really where I see it, right? I'm two and a half <laughs> hours away from you. But uh, for, for you and for what you're doing, it seems like you're meeting very practical needs in your ministry. Like, so many people could talk about these big ideas and they want to do these great things for justice and all that is really good. But if you don't start with your neighbor who's just living down the street, then you're missing, you know, a great opportunity to do justice and mercy and compassion. And so I've seen you post things on Instagram where it's like, hey, I'm, I heard about these five people that are being evicted from their apartment tonight. Can we help them pay their rent? Hey, uh, I've heard about this homeless guy down the street who needs groceries. Can we buy him like some groceries? And so it's like, I really know that you're out on the streets of Santa Barbara meeting your neighbors um, and really getting to know them. Yeah, yeah. Our, our Pentecostal friends talk a lot about um, unleashing the Lord's resources, right? Unleashing God's resources. And I think when we can make it specific like that, when we, can, when we can get out of the world of ideas and into the world of our neighborhood, and we can start to name specific needs, it, it unleashes God's resources. People see a really practical place to put their needs. And so, yeah, that, that's definitely a part of my job is just to, there's eager people out there who want to do good for the world. And part of my job is to lift the veil and to say, hey, look, it's somebody who lives in our town who's been here for generations, and we have an opportunity to step in and to help them through a difficult time of their life. Let's do it together. Um, mm. So God's been, God's been good in that, dude. He's responded to pretty much every call we've put out there on social media. So, and there's bound to be more. Yeah, man. And so before we jump into kind of your story and some of your uh, upbringing and kind of some of maybe what brought you to this point of really caring about justice, 
I really just would like for us to hear maybe what is one tangible story that you've seen in uh, Santa Barbara since you've been working in this area of compassion and mercy and justice? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think I can talk about a few different things. I, I think though, maybe it's worth talking about COVID and the challenges that, that the, the outbreak of COVID-19 presented here in our community. Obviously you're going to have these stories in every single town, but uh, in Santa Barbara, one thing that happened was obviously pandemic hits, uh, sports teams announced they're not going to play anymore. You know, uh, like there's delayed and schedule, delays and schedules. And then finally, of course, the schools say, hey, we're, we're not going to bring kids to school anymore. It's too dangerous to have kids around each other. And as a result of that, then uh, after school programs and kind of youth empowerment programs say, hey, us too, it's unsafe, obviously. And the governor, you know, the governor has just ordered a, a shelter in place. We, we can't meet anymore. Um, and so one thing that happened here in Santa Barbara was really one of the only youth empowerment programs we have here in our town, the Boys and Girls Club. It's across the street from the high school. They said, we have to, you know, we have to stop. And as a result, the day of, they let go, they furloughed, I think 13 of 14 of their employees, just cut, done. And by the way, that, that doesn't mean they were furloughed and so I don't even know if I'm using the correct term, but it doesn't mean they were furloughed and given like a severance package or anything. It means they were literally just let go that day and they didn't have money to pay their next week's rent, right? So fortunately, there's also a, a school that shares the campus with the Boys and Girls Club. I know one of my, one of my primary ministry leaders in our church uh, works at that school and she gets a hold of me and says, hey, we're going to have a lot of people who are going to have trouble paying this month's rent because they just let go. They just got let go. Um, and so we, we started to get word of this whole crew, really. Um, and unfortunately, it, this happened so immediately that our church didn't have a chance to start putting together kind of a response fund. And so I quickly realized we were going to have to find a more immediate way to raise some of these funds uh, before, you know, before the church approved the whole budget and everything for what we wanted to do. And so um, we got a, a, the word of a couple people who needed about a thousand bucks to pay for their next month's rent. Um, and we just started getting the word out on social media. And I said, you know, if you're willing to give 10 or 20 bucks and we can get, you know, 50 people to do this, we've got it in the back. We can, we can help pay and make sure this person stays housed, right? And so when you break it down like that, if you, if you kind of just do the math on people's behalf, they're like, oh, wait, that is totally doable. That's so reachable. <laughs> and literally within like six hours, I think, we had $1,000 to give one of those employees who just got laid off, who reached out to us and said, hey, if there's anything you can do, I would really appreciate this. And we were able to give her rent. And literally the moment that Venmo arrived on her phone, she had just been praying with her family that somehow God would provide for this month's rent. It was like, literally she had finished her prayer. She'd said, amen. And the Venmo comes through. Right. And so this stuff is sometimes stuff you can't even explain. And by the way, this doesn't happen perfectly either. There's a lot of people who pray for God to provide and have prayed through this for God to provide. And there's a lot of tragic stories out there too. Uh, 
But I, I think, you know, we pray about it and we say, God, just put things in front of us and we'll respond to your call, whatever you put in front of us. And so this was just an example of something God made really clear to us and we responded to really quickly. So. Yeah, man, that's super cool because it's like an example of like when God allows us to be an answer to somebody else's prayer, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody prays about something yeah, we get yeah. to be the answer. And sometimes we think, oh, miraculous, you know, things need to happen. Oh, miracles going to fall from the sky and this person's yeah. rent is yeah. going to miraculously show up in a plant on the, you know, on their walk on the street. But really, it's, you know, sometimes it's just people giving 10 bucks here, five bucks here. And sooner or later, God starts to add it up and it starts yeah. to really yeah. provide for that person. That's so good, dude, because that, that's so good, because in Christianity, we tend to sit in either camp, right? We tend to say, you know, I'm not going to radically give up my own resources to help people, but I will pray for miracles, and I believe God's a God of miracles. I believe God can take care of them. Or we have people who say, get off, get off your knees and get on your feet, start serving the poor, you know? And, and actually, I don't think either is the right answer. I think we're talking about both and, right? We're talking about pray for that miracle for that person to receive what they need. Give us, God, our daily bread, right? It's Jesus's own prayer. But at the same time, we're saying, God, I will be the first one to help answer that prayer. Whatever I have to give today, I'll give. If I have extra I will be, I will gladly give my access, right? And so it's, it's this idea of praying and being the answer to our own prayers. We need both in our lives, I think. Hmm. It's a both and not a either or. Exactly. I love that. And yeah. so um, what is one thing that you feel proud of yourself that you've done in your life? That's a big question, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad, I'm really glad you, I mean, you, just secrets out. You gave me these questions a little bit in advance, so I could kind of, I could kind of think about these a little bit. Um, but I have, I had a really kind of a, a crazy re realization when I was thinking about the answer to this question. I think I'm most proud of letting go of dreams that weren't mine. I'm most proud of letting go of dreams that weren't mine. And I, I think what I mean by that is, um, you know. I came to a point where in college, I was a, a good student. I didn't struggle with school. Uh, my family um, was, was a pretty typical upper middle class white family. And what I mean by that is they, uh, they basically told me, hey, Daniel, you can do whatever you want to do. Whatever you put your mind to, you'll accomplish it. And so, when that happened, I set my sights on big dreams, of course, right? So I think all my life I had been told since I'm a good student and since I can achieve anything, I should become something that is kind of respectable by society, right? And so I worked really, really hard in school. And in college, I, uh, I studied as a pre-med major. And so I set my sights on medical school and I worked really, really hard. Um, the thing that happened though, is I got late into college and I, I started to really just kind of seek what God wanted for me next. And God started making it really, really clear 
that this idea of becoming a doctor, that was never actually a passion he planted on my heart. That was something that somebody else had given me and it wasn't from him. And I think it felt really good to study to be a doctor because I knew I'd make a lot of money because I knew that people would hear about my job and they'd think, oh wow, that's impressive. Because I knew that I, you know, I could walk around essentially being proud of what I do. Uh, and it felt very secure in that way. But one of the things I'm most proud of is choosing to listen to God over my own comfort in that situation. Um, and actually the harder thing to do was to let go of chasing that idea of becoming a doctor uh, and instead to say, God, I'm open to you. I'm laying this down. I'm ready for you to do whatever you want to do in my life. And actually it meant in some cases disappointing my family too. It meant explaining myself to family members who had very different ideas of what I was supposed to do with my life. And those were hard conversations. And to this day, that there is, there is still some misunderstanding there. I haven't repaired that fully with my family. But I think it feels better to live in line with God's will for my life, or at least what I think is God's will for my life, than it does to listen to a dream that he never put on my heart. Um, and so it, I, I think this has been an act of faith for me to say no to that and to choose ministry instead. Um, but man, have I just enjoyed and been so gratified and felt closer to God through every minute of it. And isn't that kind of what we're all after anyways? Um, and, and so I think when I say one of the proudest things, typically people say a trophy or a certificate or yeah. a degree or something like that. Actually, I think it's for, for me, it's almost the opposite. It, for me, it was letting go of, of chasing something impressive and choosing maybe to just say, God, I want you to be in control of my instead. And that's interesting because it's, it's two definitions of pride, right? Like there is like worldly pride and then there yeah. is like God, humility. I'm glad I did that pride. And yeah. so yeah. for you, it's like the world is probably like, man, you would have been so much more proud if you would have been a doctor or if you would have made a bunch of money or maybe, you know, I know you used to be a soccer player too or things like that or great yeah. student. The world tells us that pride means success mm. or pride means climbing the ladder or pride means more money or pride means more status. Yeah. And yet what I hear you say is pride is not that I'm proud of where I know God has led me to and where I've faithfully gone. And not in a way where it's like proud, like, oh, look at me. I'm the man. I'm following God's call in my life. But yeah. I am deeply glad i am deeply thankful that i did what god called me to do yes exactly dude yeah it's like it's that confidence in the treasures stored up in heaven that jesus talked about right it's a confidence that i don't have to see the reward for my work here on earth actually god has a much greater reward for me in heaven if I should choose to give my whole life to him here and now, right? Hmm. There's something so much better than anything the world could give me in exchange for an impressive job or an impressive bank account. Uh, and, and I think it feels so good to know uh, and to have confidence that something waits us, awaits us in heaven 
we could never imagine if we stay faithful to God in our lives. Huh. Wow. That's good, man. That's good. That is some scriptural truth laid out in real time and real life application. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. kind of going the flip side of that. So we were talking about what is one thing that you've been proud of. Um, <laughs> but now we're talking about, yeah. I think another question that I ask people is mm. what is one struggle that you've had to overcome in your life? Mm. Again, like maybe a more unconventional answer. Cause I, you know, I gotta be honest with you, dude. I, I didn't grow up with a rough childhood. I hope, I think you will have people on this show who are going to talk a lot about having to overcome some really significant, like circumstantial challenges in their lives. I'm not one of those people, to be honest. I grew up in suburban America and my family, uh, they stayed together. Praise God. You know, my parents raised me in a single family household. Uh, I had a pretty good life. I never had to worry about where my food was going to come from. Um, I certainly liked to challenge myself. I, I didn't think life was easy. I worked hard. But uh, to be honest, I think one struggle I've had to overcome is, is in some sense what we were just talking about, the struggle of letting go of the American dream, right? The struggle of saying no to what everybody else told me would make me happy in life. But another thing too, and I, I, I mean, this might get a little bit risky here, but <laughs> I think another big struggle in my life has been having to unlearn a system of white supremacy or white superiority in my life. I'm, you can't see me, but I'm very white. <laughs> and, and, um, and honestly, everything about my childhood told me that I was the model American, told me that I was the model Christian, the model student. So I had this life that told me that white was the ideal uh, for everybody to to kind of uh, everybody uh, everybody for to kind of strive towards, you know. And I think one of the biggest struggles in my life has been picking apart the parts of me that are fundamentally good and that are in God's image. And then actually separating that from a lot of the baggage that comes with being white. And uh, this baggage of uh, really, if you want to get specific, like, well, if people just tried harder and studied more in school, then, you know, these Latino and these black families across town, they could attain the same things we have, you know, or it's this idea of, hey, you've been given a lot. So you should, uh, you should try to get into the best school. You should try to get the best grades and you should try to get a well-paying job so you can raise a good family of your own in a safe neighborhood, right? There is a white narrative to life and it is designed to keep people like me at the top of society, at the top of influence, at the top of money-making, with the biggest stocks, right? All of it is meant to benefit me. And I think already I've had a struggle doing this, but I guarantee you too, Mike, it's going to just be a struggle for the rest of my life, figuring out how to call that out in my life, how to untangle it and to say, no, this isn't something that is benefiting anybody, including me. This is actually a design thing to put other people down and I'm going to be a part of, of actually destroying 
this idea that white is better than others. Um, and so I think one of the biggest struggles in my life has been undoing that, has been unlearning that. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is a lot of times we see justice in media or we see justice on social media and we think it's sexy. We're like, oh, that person's pursuing justice. Oh, that person's living, you know, in the inner city. Oh, that person, you know, that person is reaching out to the homeless. So oh, that person is caring about, you know, the least of these. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, they're so inspirational. But we yeah. don't oftentimes think about the struggle that it takes to get to that point. And so mm -hmm. I know for you, um, there had to be some giving things up. There had mm -hmm. to be giving, you know, like your dream, uh, your dream of being a doctor or maybe some uh, peace with your family or maybe some comfortability, you know, or maybe a dream of having a pretty house or you know, yeah. success. Yeah. And that stuff hurts. That stuff's painful. Like it's, it's hard to give that stuff up, you know, and that, yeah. but my favorite quote of all theologians, and I don't read a lot of theology books, but <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Um, yeah. And that's from the cost of discipleship. And so, yeah. so in that book, it's a story of, this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, gave it all up, man. Like, he was, he was hiding Nazis during World War II, you know. He was out there fighting against the Nazi regime, you know, and giving wow. up safety. And it's just this idea that Christ does not call us to comfort. Christ mm -hmm. does not call us to an easy life. And so what I hear mm -hmm. you saying is I had to give up a lot to pursue what I knew was right, to pursue what I knew God was calling me to. I actually did have to give up a lot. And so wow. that stuff hurts. But ultimately, like you also said, in the end, we find that worth it. In the yeah. end, you yeah. know, we find that the call of Christ is worth more than, you know, anything else that the world could offer. You said it better than me, dude. You like. <laughs> no, dude, what happened was I listened to you. I copied everything that you said and I said it in different words. <laughs> You're, you're just gonna make a podcast of yourself after this and it's gonna get even more listens so it'll be good i hope not dude i hope not but, but um part about that too mike is like is like even when you give up the dream even when you 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 know christ calls you to come and die there is still this thing in me as a white man that lives that says even here you can get famous even here you can be your own hero, right? Even here, you can be the center of the universe. And so it's, it's really crazy to think about how even when we go to serve the poor, to feed the hungry, to offer our clothes to the naked, right? When we do these things, especially as a white man, I have this tendency in me to say, these people would be so much worse off if I wasn't here, right? To say, man, I'm so glad I'm doing this because it must be making God really happy with me, uh, which is anti-gospel and which is anti-biblical and which is anti-loving, right? That me being a savior there is actually not what yeah. God wants us to. And so I even need to get rid of that too. I need to even ask God, 
what in me is still alive that needs to die, even when I get to those places uh, that, you know, that he's called me to. Right. And for, for us white people, you know, I'm, I'm half Latino, but I do have white skin color. Um, we, we tend to take a white savior complex in a lot of these stories where yeah. we say, oh, I'm going to help the homeless. Oh, I'm going to help the brown kids over there. Oh, I'm going to help the black kids over there. Yeah. I'm, sa- I'm saving them. You know, yeah. I, I've had students where I've worked with in the past, and I've shared some stories with you where it's like, I got this kid, you know, to graduate. I got this kid out of jail. I got this kid, you know, here. Oh, I'm the savior. Yeah. But really, we have to realize is God doesn't call us to be the savior. He's the savior. Exactly. God calls us to be participants yeah. in yeah. his saving work. You know, we're, yeah. we're participants. He has called us to be participants in his redemption story, mm-hmm. but we're not the redeemers of the story. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And God knows I have just as much to gain there and to learn there as I have to give or to teach anybody. So I, I dare not come into these places pretending like I have more to offer someone else than they have to offer me. God calls us to show up in these places faithfully time after time again, and to let them change us, not to go change them, right? And so I think that's the call of the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm living under a lie of my own making, right? Wow, that's good, man. That's good. Um, And so kind of maybe taking a lighter note of things, uh as we as we wrap up some time here just a few final questions um what is one thing that you've done for fun during quarantine you know obviously we've been locked up (laughs) i say locked up (laughs) we've been you know we've been shut down we've been in our homes we haven't had always uh the time to go out and live life as normal and so some people have come up with new hobbies what is something that either you have started doing or maybe you were doing before quarantine placed it on the shelf and then brought it back because of quarantine man i uh i've done a a little bit more cooking i think i mentioned that a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. um and and also like you know quarantine has affected us but it hasn't kept us from going outside i'm fortunate to live in a place where COVID didn't hit super hard, right? Um, and so because of that, I didn't have to come up with a bunch of new hobbies or anything like that. Um, but one thing I've done for fun is I've, uh, I've gotten outside uh, and I, this wasn't anything different maybe than what I was doing before, but I've surfed and I've ran a lot more. Um, and that's been super healthy, just kind of for my mind, body, spirit, keep me in a good place. Um, I've also, uh, I've also enjoyed um, kind of investing a little bit more in my schoolwork. I know that's not very fun, but I kind of like <laughs> hey, so, I mean, we get, we get to study things that we're passionate about, right? And so exactly. I feel exactly. you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then uh, I, I actually wrote this down too. I, I've made time to talk weekly with a mentor which I couldn't recommend more. I, I, I wasn't meeting with a mentor regularly before COVID. And all of a sudden, you know, with time opening up and with the digital communication still available to us, 
I reached out to someone and I said, hey, can we just get together weekly and talk about what's happening in our crazy world right now and try to seek God out and make sense of it with God in mind? Uh, and so I've, I've been meeting with a mentor weekly ever since then. Um, and it's made a huge difference in my life. It's, it's like almost having a, a therapist that you don't have to pay for or something, right? Like talking to people is so good for our minds. And especially talking to people older than us. You yeah, can see what we're going thing. through with perspective and say, dude, stop freaking out. You're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And God's in it, right? To have someone in my life who's able to say that for me has been just so good. So let's get from I God. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I mean, obviously as a youth pastor, I, I value mentorship too, but I don't always take the time to be, uh, to it's be different. mentored. And yeah. so that's a good reminder. Um, and so kind of wrapping up here, um, we talk, we're talking about mentorship and we touched on that. Mm. There's a lot of young people who listen to my podcast who might be 18, 19, 20, maybe even students who are in high yeah. school. If you were to offer one piece of advice to mm. younger people, or maybe even to DJ when he was younger, high school, college, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I was not a typical high schooler. So who would I say, what would I say to DJ? Uh, I would say to DJ as a high schooler to spend a little less time invested in your sport and invested in your school and to instead give that time to your friends. Right. And I don't mean like give that time to like getting into trouble with your friends or anything like that, but just like, Give that time to like sitting down with your friends, getting to know them better, like going out, trying a new thing together, go camping or something like that, you know? But I really would have loved to spend more time with my friends in high school. And I realized, you know, 10 years down the road now that relationships matter more than anything else in life. I think um, I, think I have like a mentor who in his email signature, it says, relationships are the currency of heaven, right? Mm. God deals, it, relationships are like money to God, you know, so important. And they're, therefore, they should be the most important thing, I think, in our lives. So invest in your friendships around you, like actually get to know people and be okay with giving up that time. Do well in school. If you play a sport, kill it. Like practice hard, <laughs> go yeah. hard. But at the same time, and at the end of the day, remember that your life is going to be best when you have good friends around you. And what you give to your friends is what you'll get in return. So be quick mm. to serve your friends, be quick to look out for your friends, and they're going to do the same thing back for you. Um, yeah. I'm telling myself that, I think. I love that because a lot of my students right now are football players, are basketball players. Yeah. Um, you know, our soccer players. And so they do devote a lot of time to their sports, man. It's like four or five hours of practice, you know, a day. And then they go home, do like homework and AP classes. And sometimes they can forget. And maybe that's a, maybe that's something for even us adults, right? Like yeah, don't get yeah. so consumed with work that yeah. you forget to enjoy life. 
Don't get so consumed with, oh, I have to get this done. Oh, I have to get that done. Oh, I'm not making enough money on my job, so now I need a side hustle. Oh, now I need a third side. And it's just, you know, climbing that corporate ladder, climbing that, you know, that success ladder oftentimes comes at the stake of lost relationships. That's right. Comes at the stake of lost friendships. Lost, maybe even some of these people who are married who will listen to this podcast comes at the stake of loss of marriage, you know, loss Mm -hmm. of a healthy marriage. I've heard some stories of great youth pastors, great, you know, nonprofit leaders who have horrible marriages or who had horrible marriages. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. how do we not place so much emphasis on work and power that we lose the ability to enjoy yeah. life and the simple things? That's so good. It's so good. I think like what we're talking about can literally be summed up in two words. Show up, right? Mm. Show up. For your sport, show up. Get to practice and do the work. For your school, show up, get to class on time and do the work. But the same principle applies to your friends too. Even when you're tired, show up. You in person with your friends matters way more than you connecting with them over your phone, right? The thing your soul longs for is not another video on TikTok or on Instagram. It's a face-to-face contact with a friend. That's what your soul is longing for when you go to your phone. So if you show up with your friends, it's going to change your life. I love it. I love it. Well, sir, I know we didn't get to all the questions, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of just pick and choose questions as time, as time goes by. And, you know, mm. we, we covered a whole lot. And uh, I'm glad that people had the time and the chance to hear from you, man. I know you've taught me a whole lot just – you know, I, I remember one of my favorite memories with you is being uh, in snowy Chicago, uh, packed in the back of a van, um, you know, on our journey to Mosaic and seminary and really talking about some of these things that, you know, really matters in the kingdom of heaven. What does it look like to serve your neighborhood? What does it look like to love your neighbor? What does it look like to care about God's people? What does it look like to address your white privilege and work to use that to better the lives of those that don't have the same privilege as you? And so I've, I've learned a lot from you. And now, you know, when people hear this podcast, they'll get the chance to learn from you. And so thank you. It's an honor to be here with you, Mike. And I can say the same thing right back at you. I treasure your friendship and I really get inspired every single time we're together. I get inspired by your heart for the kids you love, for the people you serve. And God is sure to use a heart like yours to do great things in the world. So thank you for what you do too. And stay faithful, dude. Brother. Keep showing up because it's making a big difference in a ton of lives. So I'm, Thanks, I man. You. I appreciate that, bro. Well, uh, that was uh, Daniel Johnson. Called by his parents, Daniel Johnson, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you, if you uh, listen to this podcast, we're grateful uh, for you listening. Yeah. And uh, be blessed, friends. Yeah, God bless.